Hi, this is Robert Rankin-Walker. You're listening to Chords and Vines on 10 Temecula Entertainment Network. Good afternoon, and how is everybody? I'm terrific. I'm peachy, as a matter of fact. You're peachy? Peachy. Peachy. Peachy Keeney. Hi, Gaya. Hello. Good day. Welcome we- to Chords, Vines, and Dines. And I'm Kat Ellis. And Tom Plant here. And Gaya Norvell. We just listened to a little snip of one of our artists that we're showcasing today. We listened Mr. To- Robert Rankin-Walker. Yeah, we listened to Nightlife, and we're going to hear the rest of that song at the end of the show. In addition to one of his other ones, Boom Boom. Speaking of shows, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the show we attended Friday night. Oh, it was <laughs> so good. We got to see my friends, the Gunboat Kings, opening for War, the band War. And how fun was it when Nick came over to our table and scurried us up the stairs backstage and the security guard looked and said, who are these people? And he said, that's my family. <laughs> and he kind of shook his head as we all ran upstairs. I've heard it all, you know. <laughs> but yeah, that was Braden's first time to go up to a green room and see where the band lives when they're not on stage. Living history. I mean, that place has got to be 50 years doing live concerts at least. I mean, at that's least. A guest that's how long I've been. Well, I don't want to get my age away. I was going there as a, as a child. <laughs> you started going there when you were one, right? Yeah, that's right. But every inch of every wall in the dressing rooms is covered with either autographs or things that the artists have written or little drawings that they've put up there. It's just... I wrote one a long time ago up there. Probably been covered over long ago. Yeah, I know. I did that with Bluefish. I think we all wrote something up there on one of the walls. So the Gunboat Kings did uh, their amazing show. Uh, they're so good. Orange County Band. And then War. And I'll, I'll confess, I wasn't, I, I was happy to see them, but I wasn't overly excited. They really did blow me away. They really put on a tremendous show. They were absolute top-notch performers besides being top-notch musicians. Yep. Why can't we be friends? The world is a ghetto. The mm-hmm. Cisco Kid, Lowrider, Summer. I mean, just him. A lot of those, you forget that you knew that. I and Spill the Wine, which oh. uh, Eric Burden sang on there. Uh, that was, War was originally put together by Eric Burden. Yeah. It was his band. And then... Yeah. They're still going strong without them. That's good. Well, they were absolutely wonderful. And, and really quickly, I uh, I was sitting just face-to-face with uh, the guitarist, a guy named James Zoda Baker. And after the show, I went to the side of the stage and struck up a conversation with him. He was kind enough to run up on stage and grab me a pick. He said, this was when I was with the band in 2002, and it's dated with that year on it. Mm-hmm. And The show Friday night was the third show he's been with since he came back to the band. And it was just like he'd never left, wasn't it, Kat? Oh, yeah. You would never know that he was green, so to speak. And guess who's going to be a guest on a forthcoming show? And he is. Yep. That's exciting. My buddy. (laughs) And I want to say, too, that Gunboat Kings are going to be headlining this summer at the Coach House. That's great. Opening up, um, well, that's in a celebration of their new CD coming out. Go see these guys. They're great. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. We had uh, Nick Calandrino on our show a few weeks ago. Such nice folks. Nick and Tom Ballone and Eldon and you know the rest of the guys. Oh, yeah. They're they're six-piece band. Yep. Very uh, polished. Very polished. Very good. All, all, origin, of, all original material. I was going to say that. So, anyway, we go back to, uh, what do we got? Start, what are we gonna ta- uh, else are we going to talk about today? It's well, a- we have, uh, as you mentioned, Robert Rankin-Walker. We also have John Butler, who's the bald guy on the red tie. Yeah. Okay, yeah You've worked with him, haven't you? Oh, I have. Yeah. He's, he's an incredible guy. He, he's, an, he's a published author of a book called The Stare. Uh, he, has his, he is his own podcast host of Red Tie Community. 
and over a thousand YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah, over a thousand yeah YouTube videos. But he's going to go into all of this when we uh, yeah. during our visit. It was a fun visit. He's oh, a great yeah. guy. And I've known of him for a long time. Like I said, we were Facebook friends for a while, and uh, it's the first chance I've had to really get to talk with him, mm -hmm. meet him. So good we, guest. Yes, and he's also a motivational speaker. That he has, <clears throat> he just has a great story to tell. Uh, all the way from his beginnings, and I'm excited for everyone to hear the show. And speaking of success okay. and how to achieve it. At number one, be committed. Through commitment, you can gain motivation to pursue success. You should make a list, including your goal, your level of commitment to the goal, and what you're willing to do to achieve it. You need to learn from the journey. If you make a mistake, don't get frustrated. Learn from it. Don't do it again. Have fun along the way. If the journey becomes too tedious, it'll be more challenging to succeed. Number four, you want to think positively. Developing a positive mindset is all about trusting yourself and your ability to succeed. Number five, change your perspective. Sometimes along the journey, you have to change your perspective to turn a challenging situation into a better one. Be honest with yourself. If you find your goal is at a standstill, you might need to be honest with yourself about why that is. Number seven, take away distractions. Make a list of things in your life that take up your time or distract you. I know I don't ever have anything like that, Kat. Do you ever have any <laughs> distractions in your life or things that... I think I just had one. <laughs> <laughs> Gail, you've ne ne never had that ever. <laughs> every day. <laughs> if you're a, especially if you're a parent or grandparent. There's always interruptions. Number eight, count on yourself. You cannot count on others to achieve your goals for you. Your best friend cannot take a class for you. Number nine, keep planning. Stick to a schedule when working on your goals. Give yourself challenges according to your personal calendar, such as I will run a seven-minute mile by the end of the month. <laughs> Not this guy. Or I will save $5,000 by the end of the year. Finally, number 10, avoid getting burned out. It's important to focus on your goal, but do not obsess over it. Some tips for success. Yeah. Like our two guests today, Robert Rankin-Walker and John Butler, both very successful in their own right. Oh, very much so. And talk about commitment and dedication. Yes. Definitely. Should we go into our visit with John Butler, the uh, tall guy with the red tie? Bald guy. Bald guy, Bald guy red tie. <laughs> okay. So I'm here with John Butler he is a writer, public speaker, published author, podcast host, magazine publisher, a branding professional. Let us introduce to you the amazing John Butler. And go ahead, John, tell us about yourself. <laughs> All right, we'll start from the beginning there. Um, I basically grew up in the armpit of California, known as Bakersfield, and uh, Bakersfield is the uh, Central Valley of California, for those who aren't aware of it. It's about an hour north of Los Angeles and a few hours south of San Francisco, and it's basically where all your oil and cotton comes from, but as the uh, last part of the name Bakersfield says, it is a field. And so I basically grew up in Bakersfield riding dirt bikes right out of the garage and then just getting lost uh, for hours on end. And uh, growing up, I uh, grew up with a mom and stepdad and a, uh, a sister, half-sister. And my whole goal uh, for many years was to be a professional motocross racer. And uh, so that was a great place to kind of grow up and do that. Um, but if you want to go a little bit before the motocross racing, uh, my life changed when Vanilla Ice came to Bakersfield. And I was about 9 or 10 years old. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I want to dance on stage with shiny pants, those parachute pants from the early 90s. Right. Yes. I was like, I'm going to be that guy. And so <laughs> I had absolutely zero musical talent. But I guess this is where the writing started is I, I started writing rap songs. And rap at that time was still kind of in its uh, toddler stages in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, but I heard Donnell Ice, and I saw that he could do it, so I started writing rap songs at 9 or 10 years old, you know, rapping about, I don't know, whatever it might have been, uh, you know, the lunch lady or, you know, the playground, that kind of stuff. And I uh, started recording those rap songs uh, a cappello onto a boombox with absolutely no music, 
and my buddy would be next to me and he would start beatboxing and then I would make duplicates of all these tapes and then I would write handwritten letters to Capitol Records, Greffin Records, and I would send it out to the uh, recording companies letting them know that I was going to be the next Vanilla Ice, but uh, they, they never seemed to respond. I don't know why. <laughs> They're lost. They They're lost, John. Hey, I, I want to go... I want to go back a little bit. Tell me about, I heard a rumor that in preschool you were renting out your G.I. Joes for a dollar a day. Is that true? That is true. <laughs> so my, my dad was, a, uh, was kind of a marketing guru in the automotive industry. And unfortunately, two weeks after I was born, my mom and dad split. And so he was kind of the dad that I would see every few weeks, one of those kind of scenarios. And so every time that we would hang out together, he would take me to the office and I'd watch him do business. And this is from, you know, literally since out of the cradle, every time I was with him, we, I was just always in that business atmosphere. And so when I was about four years old, going to preschool, um, I would, I have an uncle who's two weeks younger than I am. And uh, so I would let, I'd have him give me his toys. So I'd, I'd talk him into giving me his toys and then I would take them to preschool and then I realized, I was like, well, if I sell the toys, I won't get the toy back. Um, so I said, hey, I'll rent you the toy so you could play with the G.I. Joes or the Supermans, the Batmans, you know, all the, the 80s action figures um, for a dollar a day. But I get the toy back and I get to keep the dollar. Uh, I love and it. And that, that, <laughs> that was a pretty good hustle going there for a four-year-old until we went to McDonald's one day and my mom was a couple dollars short. And so I pull out this big wad of cash out of my pocket. And I was like, oh, don't worry, Mom, I got it. And she's like, where did you get all this money? She think I stole it. But I was just a young entrepreneur on his way to millions. So. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a great story. Yeah, I love that one. That is a great story. There's there's more to it. Yeah, You just kept going. I, I think, John, that you did what every successful person has ever done. You did this little entrepreneurship at a very young age and then went into your teen years and went into your uh, probably later teen years where you developed a sportswear company. Yes. Um, so actually a few years before the sportswear company, um, when I was a freshman in high school and I was in the prime of my racing years, uh, you know, I really wanted to get sponsorships from all these manufacturers uh, but, you know, being from Bakersfield, you're not really on the, the radar of the, the major uh, scouts, if you will. So I said, okay, fine, I'm just going to start my own motorcycle accessories business. And we had a big trailer, and then we got all these distributors to give us the parts, and then we would sell the, uh, you know, dirt bike handlebars, grips, levers, tires, pipes, uh, accessories at the racetrack. And so I could basically, my racing became a tax write-off, and then I could uh, support the racing through... Uh, and my, my mom and stepdad were obviously helping with this at that point. And uh, so that's kind of how we got started in the motorcycle accessories business. And then as I was really on the verge of, of trying to go pro, unfortunately, my mom got sick with cancer when I was about 15, 15 years old. And, um, and as is shared in the book, you know, she unfortunately passed away in June of 98. And so in the summer of 98, it's obviously a blur, you know, life is, uh, life is disrupted, right? I mean, mom, moms are, are the foundation and the solid, uh, solid rock of the family. And so my mom was gone and I had a, uh, a mentor guy that I was racing at the tracks with. And he said, well, what do you like doing besides racing? And I said, well, when my mom was alive, we had a motorcycle accessories business. And I kind of told him about that. And he's like, well, I have $20,000 I'd like to invest you know, why don't you come up with some business ideas and, and let me know what uh, you come up with. So I thought about doing all these different companies. And then my, my buddy Brady, he had a, uh, a, a wiener dog named Sir Reuben Dickweed the 21st. <laughs> so, so that's the wiener dog's name. And, and his parents and he did this uh, run of shirts at the track called Dickweed Shirts. And so everybody thinks it's, you know, sex and drugs, but it's really named after a wiener dog. <laughs> and so um, he and I we went into business together my senior year of high school. But a, a few weeks after we started, he said, hey, man, I don't want to do this kind of stuff. I just want to ride dirt bikes. You know, I'll sell you my half of the company. So I took over full ownership of it. And I just went full throttle my senior year of high school. And before, you know, the end of that year of 98, 
everybody on campus was wearing dickweed shirts. And so the administration started getting angry phone calls from parents <laughs> saying, hey, my, my kid bought a dickweed shirt at school. What the hell's going on over there, right? And so they investigated it, and uh, they had this big meeting uh, with the school administrators, and they basically decided to ban dickweed shirts. But as anything that's cool or that's banned by the authority, that just makes it more popular, right? And so um, there's this big resurgence of the, the popularity of dickweed shirts, and uh, – the security guards would come to me and they say, hey, John, we know the principal says we've got to kick these people out or you know, make them turn their shirts inside out, but we think you're, what you're doing is cool. So I said, hey, if I give you dickweed shirts, will you just turn a blind eye and, and just kind of let it go? And he said, hell yeah, man, we love it. And so I, I paid off basically the security guards with dickweed shirts, and then dickweed survived. And because I knew that I had that security, I came out with a shirt for the end of the year, and it says dickweed. Want to pet my wiener and add a picture of a wiener dog on the back of the shirt. <laughs> Love it. That's so funny. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So uh, that was that was that part of it, and that's all in the book. Uh, the book's called The Stare, and it kind of talks about a lot of these uh, adventures, and it really kind of starts back with uh, the writing, and then finding out that my mom was uh, sick with cancer. And just talks about that that journey, that transition into adulthood, you know. Uh, well, such I guess that rocking uh, knowledge that that covers the what inspired you. I, I know <laughs> that you continue to write. You're a, you you have so many many irons in the fire right now. Um, what did you edit out of your book? Well, the editing process. Um, so the way that the book kind of got started was I was I was journaling for a couple of years at that point, and I'd always had a way with words. And uh, when I was in my racing days, I would fax these uh, cover letters to all these companies because I was trying to get sponsors. And I'd tell them about my, my race weekend, if you will. Well, I started keeping a journal because I was inspired by Doogie Hauser. Remember that show? Mm -hmm. the Patrick yeah. Harris? And at the end of the night, he'd always like type on his uh, computer. So I got my first computer in like 1995. And I, I was like, man, if I get a computer, I'm going to basically journal what my life's like. You know, I was about like a freshman or sophomore in high school at that point. And I just thought that was really neat. So I started journaling. And then uh, when I was 19 years old, I read my dad some of my journals because I was going through a really dark time of life. I was 18, 19 years old, just making bad decisions, um, you know, post my mother's death. And... Um, and, and, and so I, I started writing this book, and my thought was, he said, why don't you make this into a book? And so I started writing my book, and my thought was, I'm going to move down to Ortega Highway to live with my aunt, get out of Bakersfield, because Bakersfield was just a bad place for me at that point. And I said, I'm going to write my book in two weeks. I'm going to get it published about a month later, and then certainly by the end of summer, I'm going to be on Oprah. And uh, by the time the book actually got published, it was about seven years, so my, my timing was a little off there, but... Uh, you know, I, I hoped for two weeks, but it took seven years. So to answer your question in a long way, um, the book went through a lot of transformation because um, I was very raw as a writer. I just knew that I had a story to tell. And at that point, I actually hadn't even read a book um, all the way through in my life. Uh, the first time I read a book was when I was 19. And um, reading and writing is just what wasn't something that was on my radar because I was so focused on the racing and the T-shirts and whatnot. Um, so to answer your question, the transformation of the book went through uh, a lot of it. I do have an original manuscript that is just completely raw. And so, for example, the first 10 chapters of the book as it is now was all condensed into the first chapter. And then I met a guy named Moser, and he kind of helped me. Uh, he was a well-read individual, very philosophical and all about the writing lifestyle, and he kind of told me how to break it apart. And so that's what kind of um, got me going on the writer's path and really taking it seriously. John, are you still waiting on that phone call from Oprah? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so right as the book was about to be published, um, about a year before, that's when uh, there was a very big memoir called Million Little Pieces by James Frey, or Fry, however you pronounce his name. I, yes, and, I remember. Uh, do you remember that book? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a great book, but come to find out, and you know, Oprah's touting him as this great memoirist, and all this kind of stuff. In the early 2000s, memoirs were huge, right? And then so it comes to find out that he basically lied in his book or he made some stuff made up or whatever. Up, yeah. 
and it absolutely crashed the memoir market, like right as my my uh, manuscripts were getting published and all that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> talk about bad timing once well, again. And then Oprah retired, and uh, so I kind of lost my shot there. Oh well. <laughs> but there's always. But now I'm on your guys' show, so it's even better. Hey, hey, there you go. Yeah. Go ahead, I, I mean, right now, I, I, I honestly, John, I've known you for a long time. I, I, I have to say that just being in your presence is there's something motivational just about you being bringing your energy to any specific arena. You're a published author, a podcast show host. Tell us about your podcast. Um, so in 2014, I started getting the idea that I wanted to do a podcast because it just felt like the next um, evolution of things. Um, I, I, I've always been fascinated with, with uh, people's life stories. And so, you know, I, I make my bread and butter in the real estate world in Southern California. Um, but my true passion is stories. And so I wanted to have a show where I can have people come on the show and talk about their, their life stories and what they were going through. And so in 2014, I impulsively bought about $2,000 worth of uh, studio equipment and then I just sat on it for about four years and then in 2018 there's a guy in my life um, he was a good high school buddy and he was a very technical kind of guy his name was Tyler and uh, he knew what how to use the equipment right all I knew is that I wanted to I wanted to put on the show but I didn't want to run all the, the switchboards and all the technology all that kind of stuff. And so he loved that role. He likes being behind the scenes. And I said, oh, well, I like being in front of the camera. And so I came up with the Red Tide Community Show. And I, I had uh, probably about anywhere from 100 to 150 guests on the show. Uh, everyone from the um, sheriff, Chad Bianco, when he was running for election, I think in 2018, uh, to mayors, to comedians, to hospice nurses, um, to a couple that were absolutely in love and then he ends up passing away from an illness and then so she comes back on the show a year later talk about that um so many life stories were shared on that show and it was just such a beautiful uh way to be a platform to to share people's stories with the world and uh, one of my one of my favorite things that i've done probably over the past well, decade john you motivate people like i have never seen uh if anybody has the opportunity to hear you see you youtube you anything they need to you you bring something to the world that that uh, the world needs right now and i am absolutely so honored that you came on our show uh is it can you tell people where to find you uh where, where to find you out there on the internet and yeah probably the best way um i have over a thousand videos on youtube so if you really want to go down the rabbit hole of the bald guy red tie universe i would just type in bald guy red tie into youtube and um and if you're savvy enough to navigate you know a lot of people aren't too familiar with youtube but a lot of people know it inside now but if you go to the playlist um you, you'll see all the different projects I've done over the years. And so if you want to go down the, the rabbit hole of the Red Tide Community Show, you know, you see all the different guests. And, and it's broken up into just not even the full episodes, but then also, you know, the, the breadcrumbs, if you will. So if you just want a one to two minute kind of uh, episode, you can watch that or you can watch the full, you know, 45 minute to an hour type episode. And um, so that's probably the best place to find me to, to experience it because, uh, you know, video is a powerful tool. And uh, so I really captured that. And speaking of video, so when YouTube came out, um, I started making YouTube videos back in 2009. And so YouTube at that point was basically a toddler. And if you remember the real estate market during that time, uh, you know, if you weren't an REO agent, you basically didn't have any business. Well, I'm just this snot-nosed 27, 28-year-old kid getting into real estate that has no, uh, no hairstyling option besides being bald and... <laughs> no fashion sense besides wearing all black with a red tie. So I call myself the ball guy in the red tie and I started making my videos. And so I'd go to all these uh, rundown REO properties that were just disgusting, absolutely just residential turds in neighborhoods. Right. And I created this series called flush this foreclosure <laughs> and I would just go in and I would just start winging it. And you know, one solid camera shot, uh, a walkthrough and I would just start hammering on this house because I always thought realtors were so cheesy when they're, you know, you can tell it's a big pile of 
of doo-doo and that you got a realtor there like this is a great opportunity to fix this up and achieve the american dream yeah and so i just went in and started clowning it right like hey uh, you see termites here well that's not included and the mold here on the ceiling well make sure you take a shower if you look at this property and uh and people just loved it and so you know i blend comedy and real estate it's almost like comedy central and hgtv had a baby and youtube was a delivery room and what you got was ball guy in the red tie so uh i love it and you're funny with so many other things i i was telling my uh co-hosts here that you should have your i know you're a little young for irma bombeck the men's version of irma bombeck give us just a couple of uh quotes from your uh you you put out a an article uh, oh i don't know a few weeks ago about your wife and the 18 things <laughs> that you learned what, what, are, what are the highlights on those well so here so here you go um in the 18 years that i was married or ha- that i have been married uh here's what i've learned uh number one snoring isn't sexy she tells me this every morning and has audio recordings to prove her point <laughs> number two even when i'm right i'm actually wrong number three I can find what I'm actually looking for if I would just, quote, open my eyes and actually look. (laughs) Number four, my underwear doesn't go there. Number five, buying motorcycles without telling her first isn't the proper order of doing things. Number six, are you really going to wear that? Isn't a question, it's a redirection and a second chance at making better fashion decisions. (laughs) Number seven, I'm not nearly as funny as I think I am, no matter how hard I laugh at my own jokes. Number eight, Sleeping on the couch, see point number one, isn't so bad because I get kicked less. Number nine, <laughs> do whatever you want doesn't mean what I think it means. Number 10, she doesn't want flowers. What she really wants is tacos. Number 11, bringing her coffee in bed every morning is a good start to the day, but doesn't mean that it negates the other dumb stuff that I will inevitably say and do that day. Number 12, inviting people over without giving her a 24-hour advance notice to rage clean isn't good for my health. Number 13, purposely putting dishes away in the wrong place, even though we have, quote, lived in the same damn house for the past 18 years and I should know where they go, end quote, in hopes of getting out of putting away dishes isn't a good strategy. Number 14, helping her clean the house doesn't mean I should go into the garage for four hours and moving boxes from one side of the other to the garage to the other. Number 15, when she asks me to do something like take out the trash, she doesn't mean that at some point in time at my choosing, she means right now. Number 16, drinking the last of the creamer is dangerous if she hasn't had her coffee quota. Amen. Number seven. <laughs> oh, she hates that one. Uh, number 17, you can save money by spending more money because you get Kohl's cash is solid financial advice. <laughs> and number 18, making a bullet point list of 18 items doesn't count as an anniversary gift. C point number seven, point seven, of course, being I think I'm way more funny than I actually am. Bravo, John. Those are great. Bravo, 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 bravo. John, <laughs> I, honestly, I, I think people should follow you, watch you, listen to you. They'll laugh. They'll, they'll, they, they will find joy in their lives. They will maybe find help in getting their, through their relationships. And I, I honestly think that... You bring something to the world the world needs right now. Love, laughter, and happiness. Thank you so much, John, for coming on. And, John, when you look back on Bakersfield, don't forget that that's where Buck Owens, Dwight Yoakam, and Merle Haggard came from. Uh, Buck Owens and I uh, share the same birthday of August 12th. So, yeah, cool. uh, he's the king of Bakersfield for sure. Thank you so much, John. John. It's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thank you so much for the opportunity. And if anybody wants a copy of The Stare, if you find me on Facebook, I'm more than happy to send you a copy out, signed. Or if you want to get it on Amazon, unsigned, then you can do that as well. And uh, I think uh, my publisher will pay me like $1. fifty per book sold. So uh, <laughs> if I sell a million of them, maybe I'll be rich. <laughs> I'll pick you up on that, John. Thank you. Everything you do turns to gold, John. Talk to you uh, soon. Thank you so much. All right. God bless, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Butler, the... Bald guy, red tie. Your fingers aren't orange. <laughs> and Gaius' fingers and aren't orange. And look at that. It's National Cheese Doodle Day, and I don't have orange fingers. What yeah, the? You keep beating me to the punch, <laughs> Okay. Yes, it's National Cheese Doodle Day. Say that about five times after drinking a bottle of wine. Uh, no, thanks. Um, 
Anyway, that's uh, March 5th marks an annual celebration where fingers turn to cheesy oranges. We snack on these flavorful treats. Well, I will confess to having had some flaming Hot Cheetos the other uh, day. It doesn't count. <laughs> Cheetos what? don't count. Okay. Cheetos are cheese similar. Do- <laughs> cheese doodles. Cheese doodles. Actual cheese doodles. Um, these cheddar cheese-coated snacks come in puffed or crunchy, fried or baked, similar to to your, to your Cheetos. Cheetos. And there's another one like that. I forget what it is. Uh, and it was actually uh, discovered or uh, created back in about 1940s. Wow, got some uh, history. Yeah. Uh, well, there's there's a couple of says that generally the credit goes to a man named Maury Yohai Y O H A I, who made a variety of these snack foods in the 1940s for his family's company called Old London Foods. Other sources show patents for similar products in the 1930s, and um, still other competing accounts in Washington, uh, Wisconsin, and New Orleans as well. Well, there you go. National Happy National Cheese Doodle Day. Yeah, I thought that would that's something we have to mark on our calendars for next year. Well, we, we kind of blew it this year, so next year for sure. Yeah, next year I'll actually have cheese doodles on the table. For I would certainly hope so. And our orange fingers. Wonder what they would pair with. Oh, what would you? Zinfandel? Maybe. Maybe. I said there's all sorts of ways, things that you could do with the, with the cheese doodles. You could, um, besides just eating them like that, you could crunch them up and coat your chicken with them, or you could mm. sprinkle them on top of macaroni and cheese. Um, your imagination is the only boundary. I would I would do that. I'd coat them in chicken, I think, would be, you know, I'm not by themselves. Coat but. the doodles in chicken? Coat the chicken with doodles. <laughs> I don't know. Cat can make anything taste good. <laughs> oh, like the uh, artichoke jalapeno dip that we've almost devoured. Yes. Very good, cat. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, That's such an easy one. Also, one other thing. Yeah. I know I wasn't going to bring it up because it seems, but National Multiple Personality Day is also today. And, you know, I want to make fun of it. It sounds like it should be something humorous, but, but really, it's, it's not. It's really all. not. It's a real thing. A uh, real thing. So there's a couple of strategies on this. Uh, you first, you can take an inward examination of your own personalities. Um, this approach sees the day as a way to explore personality traits and examining the roots of those traits. Each one of us shows a different side of our characters at at other times and in different places. Sometimes our personalities appear to be altered depending on whom we're with and what we're doing. Uh, with these things in mind, the day focuses on thoughts on our own personality traits. And then also, secondly, uh, to be aware of those that do have multiple personalities. It is a real, um, I guess you call it a disease. It is a disease. It's a mental illness. And uh, um, and so it's really not really a laughing matter, although it not, does no. sound like it is. Yep. So that's it for our... National days. Okay, I, I guess it's time for Tom's wine corner. Yeah, am, am I wine right? Corner. Okay, a couple of things. Um, today we are, Cat uh, uh, and I are enjoying uh, Cameron Hughes, which you've probably seen in Costco, and this is uh, their lot number 894, their 2020 Merlot from the Columbia Valley in Washington. What Cameron Hughes does, and I've met him, he's a fascinating guy, is he will buy in essence, leftover wine. Uh, a winery will produce more wine than they can use. He buys the extra wine. He bottles it, puts his label on it, and some of it is just remarkably good for a fraction of what you would pay if it were coming from the actual winery. Interesting wow. stuff. So, we had uh, a winery out here, or a wine broker, so to speak, that did that. Yeah. We, I don't remember the name, but they had... Um, they had uh, would have wine tastings and we'd have you know a small group and we would taste it and see which was worth of them for them to buy and they would take it and put their own label on yeah. it. Yeah, but this would be I would think you would expect to pay thirty to forty dollars for oh, this definitely. and a, and I'm pretty sure I didn't pay more than ten. <laughs> it's it's really it's you uh, first thing you said is the nose smells like berries mm-hmm. and uh, this is a wine that uh, needs a little time in the glass to get some air in it and uh, bring it to life, but. So that's that, and uh, also uh, what I think is a smart thing to do is, for instance, if you're in Trader Joe's, there are so many wines, uh, $10 or less, and if you can go up and say, is the person uh, from the wine department here? And they would be more than happy to say, 
you know what, this is a beautiful wine for $7. Ask the people who work there. Costco, the same thing. Um, I know my friend um, is the manager of the Temecula Wine Department at Costco, and uh, Caroline. So ask her. She'll, she'll be more than happy to say, you know what, this one is incredible. I it's 10 know, bucks. I didn't know Costco or Sam's Club would have wine people that you I haven't seen one at Sam's Club, but Costco definitely has a wine manager. Wow. And Total Wine and BevMo, uh, the caveat there being uh, they get paid by selling their store brands. They're not store brands, what they call winery direct, and they're wineries that are exclusive to them, and so there's a much higher profit margin. They will, they'll be honest with you, but that's, they're going to want to steer you in that direction. So. I wonder if I could apply for a job at Sam's Club since they don't seem to have a yeah. wine manager. Why what, what a job. I could sit there and taste wine and give my opinion on it to everybody. Now it's time for the game of food. Ah, there we go. Not that you've ever been shy about giving your opinion. <laughs> Are you going to quiz me first, or am I going to quiz you? Yeah, I'm going to quiz you. Go for it. What's the category? Uh, what is the category? The category is ingredients. Okay. Is Gay going to play too? Uh, well, Tom will always beat me, but yeah, I'm in the game. I've never beat you. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, this is the first time he's done it. No, I think she was talking about oh, whips. That's and, true. Oh. Yeah. Okay, it may look and cook like a green tomato, but the tom- tomatillo. Tomatillo. Tom- yes, I'm getting there. It's really a closer relative of this American crop. A, husk cherry. B, gooseberry. C, goju berry. Or D, jujube. I'm going to go with A. I'll go with um, B. Tom got it. A, husk cherry. Uh, yep. All right, you go one more for me? Yep. This is under the category of cooking tools and techniques. Okay. Also called a Statler chicken breast or a chicken supreme, Hmm. what is an airline breast? Mm. A, a boneless, skinless breast. B, a breast with bones and skin. C, a breast with part of the wing attached. Or D, a breast sliced lengthwise and open like a book. Well, I'm thinking of something you'd have on a flight, and I would think you would have a boneless, skinless breast, but that's just my guess. And that's A, a boneless, skinless uh-huh. breast? Okay, what do you think? I think it's the bones would be in it because airlines are cheap, unless you're in first class. Well, the answer is... <laughs> We're both wrong. C, a, a breast with part of the wing attached. Ah, you learn something new every day. Regional dishes is the category. The question is, Boston baked beans can bake all day and not fall apart thanks to the inclusion of this acidic ingredient. Is it A, balsamic vinegar, B, tomatoes, C, molasses, or D, lemon juice? Oh, I don't know. I, I would say D, lemon juice. Okay, and you would say Gaia? Um, I'll go ahead and uh, say B. And I would have said C, molasses, which is the correct answer. Well, aren't you special? (laughs) I I think I'm pretty special. Thank you. Finally, people in pop culture. And the question is, Beauty and the Beast's Gaston attributes his strength to eating four dozen of these every morning as a lad. Is it A, strips of bacon, B, eggs, C, croissant, or D, oranges? What does Gaston eat four dozen of every morning? Eggs. 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 Okay. The answer is Eggs. Ding, 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 ding. Really quick before we go into Robert Rankin Walker, while we're still kind of sort of in the wine corner, um, I got an email from a gentleman named Jeff Gillis. He has a new phone app called Wine Likes, and uh, the three of us are in a very exclusive community now. He has uh, let us participate in the beta program. This uh, is an app that will be coming uh, to uh, an iPhone or an Android near you, and um, I been playing with it a little bit this morning and uh, both of you have the opportunity to do the same and we're going to visit with Jeff in the next few weeks to uh, talk about the app and what he thinks we think of it and what it does. Wonderful. I'm going to check that out this afternoon. Perfect. All right. So are we ready for Mr. Robert Rankin Walker? I'm always ready for Robert. Oh, and right after we, uh, right after we're going to go right into his song, Boom Boom. Perfect. Okay, well, Robert is another one that we I go way back with. <laughs> so do so do Robert and I. And yeah. Um, yeah, I met you through Pavel, I think. Yeah, speaking of, I heard from him today. We have a show with them in June. 
Pavel is the uh, the ultimate Bono impersonator tribute. Well, the tribute band, U2 tribute band. I was messaging with him last week, and he said he's got a really good band, and they're going to be rehearsing and getting ready for your show. Oh, great. So I'm excited about that, and I saw you made an announcement on the first one of your uh, summer concert series. Right, we've now we've done our first two announcements. We're going to do a couple more pretty soon. Um, the first one is May 12th. We're doing a reggae thing with a Bob Marley and a Sublime tribute. That's going to be pretty fun. Where? That's going to be at Belvino Winery. Oh, Belvino, great. Yeah. I'm there. Which, by the way, I'm I'm playing there this Friday. If you guys want to come by. <laughs> We're oh, gonna that'd be, be great. We're going to be at the Coast yeah. House on Friday seeing uh, Gunboat King's uh, opening for war. Oh, that'll be a cool show. But otherwise, we'd be there to see you. You know the world is a ghetto, <laughs> right, Robert? You know that. I do. <laughs> well, I'm so excited about the reggae. I'm a big reggae fan, so I cannot wait to see this show. And I, you have so many more things going on. Tell us more about what you got going. Uh, I want to see Robert with dreadlocks. Yeah, I know exactly. Put me, put me in dreads, and I'm good to go. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. It, it's hard to know really where to start because I'm, you know, people say, "Hey, Robert, what do you do?" And I'm like, I don't really know what I do. Um, you know, we, we produce. We have about twelve, twelve to fifteen or so of our own concerts every year, and those are called the Heyday Concert Series. And with those, we do everything from the marketing and the promotion to the production, everything. Um. But then we have like a lot of other clients that hire us just to do production and booking and stuff. And so that we've got a lot of stuff going on before that. Um, I'm trying to think like the St. Patrick's Day thing we're going to do over at Killarney's here. We, we've been doing that for many years. And that's always a big, you know, big party with our Irish band and good times, you know. Oh, my gosh. Yes. It's. It just sounds like you are the party man, and you're where it's at in this town. And I, I have to know, I, I, I'm going to be watching you much more closely because I want to know everything you're doing because I want to be there. Got it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, just, I, I, um, I enjoy what I do, but, you know, like anything, it's still business. You know, Monday, kind of Monday through Thursday, I, you know, have meetings. I'm on the laptop getting all the spreadsheets done. I'm, I'm totally a math guy, so I'm always making sure all the numbers work for everything we do. And uh, and as long as everything can come together, then, you know, Friday and Saturday we put on these shows and have a good time. I first met you were doing a lot of your own music, and you've got a whole history of touring and, and music way before you got into production. Um, t- tell, me, tell us about what you were doing, you know, how you got started, what were you, what motivated you. Uh, sure, sure. How many hours do you have? No, I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, in a nutshell, and um, Tom, you know, I, I got my real start. I mean, I, I started playing in bands in Tijuana when I was a kid, but when I got my real start, it was in the Bay Area, um, playing clubs in San Francisco and Sonoma County and all that. I lived up there for 10 years in the 90s. And um, uh, I played in a kind of an alternative rock band called Caffeine back in those days. And, uh, you know, we did all sorts of shows and played with all these great, you know, great artists that I admired. And, uh, you know, long story short, we did um, some recordings that got the attention of Interscope Records, if you remember them. Yes. And uh, long, and again, a long story short, we uh, had just a really kind of really bad deal where, you know, we couldn't really sign with anybody else and we couldn't record and they'd release us if they wanted to and they didn't. And so my band imploded. And, um, I just decided, hey, I want to learn about music business, you know, and so I started interning for what's called Heyday Records out of San Francisco, and um, and during that time, I just kind of moved up in the company a little bit at a time, and I got to the point where I was running the company, but I wasn't the owner, and eventually the owner decided he wanted to sell, so he sold me the company, so, uh, so that's kind of how I got involved with Heyday, and we were only a record company. Um, but, you know, years passed, I got really involved in the business side, and I missed playing music and writing music, and so I decided to start writing some new songs again, and that's what I'm doing now. I just had a new song come out called Boom Boom, and pretty excited about it. So, Robert, I know that yeah, your wife, Trina, used to listen to me on the radio uh, back in the 90s. Did, did you uh, ever have that opportunity, or was that a different time? No, that was me. I heard you too. It's just that I didn't put two and two together because I, I was a casual listener of the radio. <laughs> um, you know, for, for me, I was always looking for those 
deep unknown bands, you know, like the, the local bands that were playing, you know, and stuff. And, but um, Trina was an avid listener to the radio. And um, when I mentioned your name after we moved down here, I met you and I said your name, but I didn't know anything about you at the time. And she's like, oh, that's the same name of a guy that was a DJ up in Sonoma County. And then I mentioned it to you, and that's when it all came together. FM 100, KZST. Yeah, KZST. And I always remember we always had the KZST coupon book when I lived up there. That's right. So, Robert, I have my, I, I know you're probably tired of hearing this, but the funniest story I have with you is about Point Arena. Oh, I know. No, you can tell that story. I, I, I don't get tired of it. It's fun. Uh, Go ahead. I was going up to Point Arena up in Northern California with my daughter for you know, a little R&R. And Robert said, oh, when you go up there, check out, you know, go to the Point Arena Bowl. And I thought, well, that's cool. They've got a bowl, like a Hollywood bowl, a place where you could go to see live music. So I was up there for a couple of days, and I kept looking. Going, Where is his bowl he was talking about? And all of a sudden, we drove by the Point Arena Bowling Alley. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. And, you know, it's funny. What's, I, I didn't even, you know, didn't think twice about it when I just said the Point Arena Bowl. I was thinking the bowling alley. <laughs> I know, and I thought, you know, automatically yeah. live music oh cool <laughs> you know it's funny you mentioned the hollywood bowl if you fast forward a number of years to 2018 and i had the dream job of my life i was able to produce the randy newman show Ooh. with the la the la philharmonic oh. at the hollywood bowl sold out show filmed for hbo and uh that was kind of my baby i was really excited about that and it kind of dropped in my lap so that's kind of one of my my things that I'm really most proud of in the music business. Oh yeah, color me envious. That was, it was it was it was surreal because you know it's not a life I live every day, and so um, you know we were surrounded by all the A-listers. I mean, you're in a tiny little room, and there's Don Henley hanging out, and you know Danny DeVito, and all sorts of different people, wow. and um, and I'm just looking at them, and they're looking at me, and a lot of people are asking me for direction because I'm running it, <laughs> and and I'm looking at them like. I shouldn't be here. <laughs> I, I should not be here. No, I but, think uh, that, but yeah, it was a really cool time. No, I, I think that you absolutely should have been there, and I think you were supposed to be there, and I think the universe put you there because you belonged there. And uh, uh, that's my take on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I like this. I like your thinking. That's you know, I, I, um, you know, like every one of us in in so many different businesses. You know, what gets us through life is the stories we get to tell along the way and the people we meet. You know, that's one of the things I love about what I do is it's not, I'm not really looking to get anywhere. I'm not trying to be a rock star or anything, but I certainly love all the people I've met along the way um, from just local friends to, you know, A-lister rock stars that, um, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, I guess it was just before COVID, uh, I was doing quite a bit of work with Jack Black. Oh wow! And, uh, yeah, and it was kind of neat because one day I walk up and Jack's got his back to me, and he's talking to another guy, and the other guy sees me and says something, and then Jack Black turns around and goes, "There you are! We're just talking about you." And I'm thinking in my head, "Oh my god, <laughs> Jack Black's talking about me." That had to be <laughs> so, a pinch yeah, me moment. Pretty pretty fun. So yeah, I'm, I, I like I'm, I'm grateful to have the work that I have and. I like to think that I operate kind of outside the music business, um, you know, the music industry. You know, I, I try not to get too involved in those dark areas. Yeah. And I, I think, just I think, uh, appreciate it when I, they come my way. <laughs> you are you, you are very charismatic. You're very light and you're very, very easy to be around. And, and, and people are very comfortable with you. And I love that about you. I love that they're, they're, you don't, once you meet Robert Rankin, Walker, you never forget him, and oh, that's I, I, nice of you. And, and there's a there, there's a lot more to it than just being uh, a singer. It's 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 your charisma. So I, I personally am honored to know you. Well, we'll wow. get out there. <laughs> we're we're going to get out there and see you at Teakwoods on Wednesdays here real soon. Yeah, we will. Play there every Wednesday. And uh, I think I do owe you some photos, too, from one of the times I was out there. I have to check. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you're one of the best photographers I've ever had the opportunity to work with. I, oh, I'd love you. to um, 
see more of what you've done uh, uh, that I haven't seen and maybe do some more. You know? What do you mean one of the best? Uh -oh. I'm sorry, Tom. the best. <laughs> Cat is amazing. No, you, you have uh, an we're eye all for photographers, sure. but Cat's amazing, and, yeah, and, and uh, Tom's amazing, and wow. uh, it, it's it's a great life. Uh, anytime you can surround yourself uh, in the arts and people doing what they love, uh, it, it, it's it's a joy, and we're blessed yeah. to always be able to work around this industry. So tell us. Uh, Anything else you want to share with us? Anything that we I, where we want to go out and chase all your shows? What's going on? Uh, do you have a whole I summer lineup? Well, I guess if I wanted to plug my business, I'd say um, go to our website. It's a day, so it's h e y d a y um, dot com. Back in the heyday, for example, it's basically about making every day a heyday, make every day of your life, you know, count. So heyday dot com. Yeah. Um, and if you want to look up my music, uh, just do search on, you know, Spotify or Apple's Robert Rankin Walker. I'd love for you to follow my music and, you know, listen to some of the songs. Absolutely. And we're going to make a t-shirt that make every day a heyday. <laughs> you know, it's really funny you say that. Um, I don't know how much more time I have, but I'll kind of end it real quick on this story. I was having a conversation about a song I wrote called Baja Moon. And um, I was talking about how... I don't have, nobody buys CDs anymore and I don't want to put my name on a t-shirt because, you know, it's kind of weird to wear my t-shirt around, you know? <laughs> and I was thinking, what could I do to have some sort of merchandise? And um, I struck up a deal with Stadium Pizza Brewery to brew a beer for us called Baja Moon Beer. I love it. And we now have, we now have Baja Moon Beer. You can uh, search that and it's available at our events and I'm trying to start getting some distribution for it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, so that's kind of, that's kind of my latest side project. I'm having a lot of fun. And a great song, too. Thank you. Yeah, it's about, um, I used to hitchhike a lot down Paha, so that was the, the story behind that. So you've got the um, the Bob Marley tribute, and I know you've got the mm -hmm. U2 tribute coming up. Who else do you have lined up for summer? Um, okay, well, we're talking tributes real quick. I'll, I'll just say the name of the real band, but you know I'm talking about a tribute. So we got um, Eagles, Sticks. Journey, Led Zeppelin, Rod Stewart, Rolling Stones, Depeche Mode, Boingo Boingo, and I'm, that's all I could think of at the moment. Well, um, that's a lot. And, and then, what's that? I said, that's a lot. I'm checking my list <laughs> then, right uh, now. Check, check. I want to go to that one. Check. Yeah, I want to go to them all. I know your Depeche Mode guys are great. They're absolutely Oh, fabulous. they're so good. Yeah, they're so good. Yeah, Kat was just saying that you had, uh, that, was it the Bono? Yeah, you too. With, with Pavel, yeah. going to be great. Uh, they, they, she said it was phenomenal. The best she has ever seen. Anyway, it oh, sounds it's like now. it's a huge party in this area coming up because of you at Hey Dave. Thank you so much for coming on. We are so excited. Uh, you guys excited. are amazing. Thank you. You guys rock and roll. Thank you so much. And I hope to see you guys soon. Let's toss the troubles overboard 
Walker, and just uh, such a treat to have him as a guest here on Chords, Vines, and Dines. And uh, that was Boom Boom, Cat. Yeah, that was Boom Boom. Um, I think it's his latest. It's about reconnecting. He said what he loves about the song is that he recorded it live for an online concert during COVID. The main vocal and guitar were recorded in one take direct to his iPhone camera. Very cool. Isn't that cool? With no mics. I was really happy with the performance and vibe of that live take, and I took the audio and inserted it into my studio program, then added several additional tracks, and boom, boom, there was the song. That's all from Robert. Don't you love his energy? I mean, oh. He's just the nicest man, and always upbeat and positive. And we need more Robert Rankin-Walker we in do. our lives. Absolutely. So. So, we're getting ready to wrap up today, so... What I want to say for our quote for the day is do it now because you never know. Tomorrow may never come. I have a second quote for okay, the day. Okay, yeah, I think we're a we, uh, happier than that. We had a, uh, a little, uh, we got kinky a little earlier, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> we tried some kinky mango passion fruit and uh, blood orange uh, cocktails. I thought they were pretty good, but I didn't know that on the inside of each cap, there's a little quote. So remember these words, Kat, Gaia, rock in PM, regroup in AM. I I rock all day. I can. And all night. Tell the truth, Kat. But Kat did have a a quote that I I can't remember the whole thing, but it was pretty cool. Next week. Alrighty, is that a wrap? That's a wrap. Well, we're going to finish with um, the song we started with, Robert, called Nightlife. And we're going to uh, finish it up with the the rest of that song. And he's, according to Robert, Nightlife is a similar story to the song The Guitar Man, if you know what I mean. It's about getting out there and strumming the nightlife, the need to play music, and breathe in all that comes with it, slow, dark, and insane. Beautiful. And that's what we're going to end up with. So here's to our, and we'll see you next Sunday at 3. Looking forward.
Hi, this is Robert Rankin-Walker. You're listening to Chords and Vines on 10 Temecula Entertainment Network. 